Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Gannon and I am your host. Today I am excited to welcome Joel Milne to the podcast. Uh, Joel is the CEO of a company called RepairSmith, which we're going to learn more about today. Uh, just more about uh, the the industry and how maybe we see the future of, of repair, right? And I think there's a lot uh, that we get to dive into today that I frankly am going to learn a lot about. So excited to uh, welcome you to the show, Joel. Uh, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me. Cool. So how how did you get into the industry? Well, I was brought in. Um, the idea for RepairSmith actually came out of Mercedes in Germany. And um, they saw this opportunity. You know, they obviously are experts in the automotive space and thinking about where things are going. And... Uh, they also recognize that kind of a tech startup is not their core business. And so uh, they decided to try to bring somebody in who was an experienced tech startup person. So my background is, is really, I've done a bunch of industries, but really my expertise is in is starting and running tech companies. So that's what I've done for 20 years. Wow. Um, it's, it's kind of my sweet spot and I love consumer businesses. And this was such a great opportunity that I partnered um, you know, with the team at Mercedes, and uh, I have a partner who was a manager at Mercedes and a tech and, and a manager in parts and service for 25 years, and, and he brought the technical side, and I brought the computer technical side, and, and away we went, and here we are two and a half years later. It's funny how that works, because that's really, from the Wrenchway side, how, you know, we've transitioned, we, we still, from the finder wrench side, are still very much that recruiting aspect, but then we wanted to go that extra level as well with the wrenchway side. And so my business partner has more of a background like you do. And I'm more of the, I brought the industry knowledge. So I think it's funny when you can combine those, those two backgrounds, kind of how powerful that can be. And I, I give me your initial thoughts on the industry. I mean, it being kind of uh, not that you're new to the industry because you've, you've had some experience now, but how, how does it compare to other industries? And, and maybe has there been anything that surprised you? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I really came to this business as the customer, right? So I, I while I wasn't, you know, an automotive person, obviously I owned a car for 20 years. I've, I've uh, longer than that. I've, <laughs> I've, you know, I've uh, blown out an engine. I've had, you know, uh, I've maxed out my AAA membership on toes, and, you know, with an old antique car. So I've certainly, you know, um, as all of us had been on the consumer side of this, right? And so looking from the outside in, I um, noticed that this is an industry that still works the same way as it did 30 years ago, right? You pick up the phone and say, I've got this problem. And they say, bring it on in. And, you know, it's a telephone-based industry, right? Or just a retail-based industry where you drop by. And, and then I also noticed that, you know, since I was around for dot-com 1.0, right back in 99, 2000, and, and I remember the, the first car sales websites going up then, right? Like, cars.com and cars direct and auto vital and you know 20 years later there's been a whole bunch more but from a technology entrepreneur side billions and billions and billions have invested in car selling technology right for consumers and 
almost nothing in car repair consumer technology, right? Like, you know, they're, they're sure there's shop management systems and people working on the back end for tech, but from a consumer standpoint, it hasn't really changed. You, right. can, you can't even really make an appointment online anywhere, let alone get a quote. And so, um, you know, I noticed just a massive underinvestment in a really important big industry. And that's what got me excited about it. Wow. And so you saw that avenue as uh, between you and Mercedes saw that avenue as kind of mobile repair, correct? Yes, correct. And so when when you look at that and you look at like kind of tackling that animal, uh, that is kind of an antiquated service customer relationship. Where did you see opportunities to just kind of maybe even from the tech side become different than what a service relationship is? Look, I, I, it's a lot more than mobile repair. That's just a piece of it. I mean, okay. I think it, it starts with e-commerce, right? So just, as I said, the ability to get a quote and to schedule your appointment, which, which sound like pretty simple things. I mean, my dentist does that, right? Like it's um, every industry has, you know, from a hair salon, you know, to obviously restaurants, et cetera, has, has kind of added that e-commerce component. So so that was the first observation that that you can't really uh, get an accurate quote or schedule your appointment online, and that's kind of the the front end e-commerce of it. And that's ha- so that's half the battle right there. And then you think about the delivery format, right? And and um, you know we 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 saw it with Tesla that you know they're providing the mobile repair and customers love it, right? Like you don't see now. Customers love it when they deliver it on time and on schedule. I think there's some frustration with, you know, it takes me three months to get an appointment sometimes, <laughs> but when they get the service as, as envisioned, they love it, right? And so there's from, from, the, from the upfront, you know, uh, commerce experience to the delivery experience, there's opportunity across that whole chain to really modernize things. And, and the examples are all out there. It's just no one's really brought them all together. Right. Yeah. And that, I I think that is a really, really good point to clarify that it's not just about the mobile service too, right? Like it's the, the, the delivery aspect of, of how you communicate, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, we saw this, I think a great example that that I think about a lot is, is Carvana and Vroom and, and these companies, right? Like, Carvana is worth more than Ford, or it was last time I checked. I don't know if it is today. Right. But somewhere in there. Right. And, and, And you think to yourself, what's going on here, right? Like they're just selling cars online, but people have been selling cars online for 20 years. And so what's different about them? And and it's not that different, right? Like you could always get a price online, um, but what they're doing is removing that friction and improving the delivery experience, right? So you the full experience is it's not like lead gen, right? The traditional model has been you get the price online, but then you have to go see the car, check it out, haggle maybe, whatever it is. And this is the full end-to-end, see the price, see the car, shows up in my driveway, right? And, and so I think that's the best example of what we're doing here, but on the, on the repair side rather than the sales side. Which is so cool to me. I think that's such a, such a brilliant idea and something that it helps the industry evolve as a whole. You know, I, I really truly believe that. I, I think that's awesome. Now, how did you, when we talk about 
change, right? People are resistant to change and it's a, it's a different way of going about it. Did you notice any of that when you first started off with it uh, in trying to get people to kind of open their mind to a different way of being serviced? Mm -hmm. Or, uh, I mean, I, I, we've noticed it in our company and I'm sure like any company that especially startups are going to see that more. Was there any kind of um, initial trying to get them comfortable type of, of efforts to, to make that work? I mean, from the customer standpoint, almost zero, right? Okay. Which yeah. is, which is, <laughs> it's wild, but, um, you know, we started off very small, right? Like we, we, we rented a box truck from Ryder and, and, and wrapped it and, and drove around, you know, in, in a, a city I won't mention, experimenting, right? Like we thought we were going to have to tow, you know, tow a lot of cars, um, uh, back to, a, back to, a, uh, partner shops or, you know, we had different, mo we tried different things. Okay. Sure. Um, and honestly, the, when we just fixed it on site, the number one piece of feedback was like, why hasn't somebody done this before? <laughs> why would I ever do it the other way again? Like it's, and, and then we started doing surveys, right. Once we got up and running and, we have a 98% intent to re repurchase our wow. customers, right? Which is, it doesn't make sense. And, and so the first month that came out, I said, and because some of them give us a one on like their experience, right? So like we have what's called like about an 85 NPS score, which means 90, over 90% 90 of the time, it's like a five-star experience. And then sometimes it's a one-star experience because we screw up, right? Like we, we no show on the person because the schedules, you know, scaling, running, 50, 100 techs in multiple cities every day is hard and it's a big logistics operation and sometimes we mess up, right? And we're yeah. growing and learning. And and so, you know, we'll, we'll, the customer thought they had an appointment and we never, it, on our side, it was never confirmed, but they thought it was confirmed. We don't show and they give us one star, but then somehow it's still 98% intent to, to try it again. And so I thought it was just an anomaly the first month, uh, but it's been six months now of, I mean, I think longer since like April or May, it's been 97, 98. And wow. so honestly, that's been the least of our, that's been the easiest part of the business. And as an entrepreneur, when you have a product that people love, not just like, but love and want to buy, it just gives you a lot of room to play with and it gets you excited every, every day to come to work. Man, that's cool. So how, when you first started off in that, that box truck, I, I'd love to learn more about that piece because that, to me, those are the fun stories, especially as you grow and you get bigger. When, when, you, when you started off with that, was it just you and your business partner and you're kind of figuring it out or did you have a tech or two on staff? Uh, no, we had one tech who was doing it. Uh, he's still with us today. I, I was awesome. just talking to him yesterday about rolling out some new stuff. He's, he's more of a, a technician manager or you know he, he's training and doing other things. He's, he's not a day-to-day -day tech for us right now, but he was our our first tech hire um, and he, you know, jumped in the van and went out and did it. And we had like a one page website. Like we didn't have online pricing at that point. Right. It was sure. really, you know, it was really driving people to call on the phone. And we had once one person, maybe two people answering the phones. It was, it was under 10 people, let's say. Um, sure. And, you know, 
it was very expensive to get a customer because we didn't have any kind of, you know, no one had ever heard of us. And it wasn't even the RepairSmith name. We were using a fake name because we wanted to, when you're kind of in this uh, stealth mode and trying things out, in case we really screwed up, we didn't want like a bunch of negative <laughs> reviews, right? <laughs> That's a good, I like that. Yes, yes. So, you know, I've done a different, a bunch of different things over my career in that way. Like sometimes, you know, in the app world, I would launch an app in New Zealand because if it really screws up, no one knows what's going on in New Zealand. Right. Um, <laughs> and in the app world, you can only go one, you can't, you can only do a full country at a time. Right. And that's the yeah. smallest like English speaking country. So this was the equivalent, but in the real world. So we picked a small city in California and we just ran around in this bot truck with a, with a fake, what not fake name with a, I, I, one of, when we first started, we came up with a list of names and reserved a bunch of domains. And so this was one of the second or third choice names. And, you know, we ran around and did it and it worked out. That's awesome. So at that point, you're probably even trying to figure out what you can do on the road, right? Like, yeah, it, it's what, you know, um, it's what, you know, what kind of repairs are people calling in for, for, the, you know, that they will accept mobile service, right? Because we had a bunch of different theories that it might just be oil, a lot of oil and brakes and maintenance, but, you know, we ended up over time, we've ended up having the exact same repair breakout as you would have at a good independent shop, right? We get everything from transmission rebuilds to oil changes. And so wow. the distribution of repairs is, is pretty much the usual suspects that you'd see, um, uh, you know, in a retail setting. So uh, we had a lot of, some, some ideas were wrong and didn't, didn't pan out. And, um, some were right and, and we went with it. So I, I took some time to go through your website and, yep. and maybe in a little bit more detail than what I had uh, even when we first started working together on the, the technician side. But one of the things I thought was really cool was how your website kind of moves somebody through the diagnostic process where, you know, you're, you're, it's, you're kind of taking it to layman's terms and being able to get it, you know, get that true feedback from a customer of like, what's it doing? It's, it's, uh, you know, there's a clunking noise and, and being able to kind of guide them through, was that something where you sit down and you're really kind of just like kind of almost looking at what are the general questions that are asked and how do, how do you get it down to that level? Because I think that's so important. Yeah. Look, <clears throat> clearly that was, that was uh, a piece of the initial technology that um, our, my the automotive partner I, I mentioned, you know, built out, right, uh, the diagnostic tree. Wow. And so trying to get accurate di diagnostic and accurate quotes ultimately online was the goal of that. And, and, you know, obviously most people don't know exactly what's wrong when they're in a repair situation, right? If it's, if it's a maintenance situation, then they know what they want or so oftentimes we see people have gone to a dealership maybe and gotten a quote and are unhappy with it and are shopping around in the independent world. And so they know exactly what they need, but oftentimes they don't. And so, um, and the, probably the biggest challenge of mobile repair is ultimately having the right parts on hand and having to do a second visit, right? Cause in the shop world, they don't have the parts on hand, but they'll just keep the car for a day and then get the right parts eventually. Right. And so for us, that means a second visit is the equivalent for us. And so trying to minimize second visits and showing up with the right uh, parts um, is a big piece of the game for us. So that, that's really what we're trying to do there is, you know, come up and, and ultimately we've evolved to kind of a machine learning, you know, predictive algorithm where it's most likely 
this and show up with that part, you know, um, 80% of the time it's going to be this and it might be one or two other things. And, and you try to guess what, so you can do it all in the first visit. Wow. So that, that even takes it a step further with the machine learning, like being able to get an algorithm that's, you know, you're counting on data to give you kind of that feedback. That's amazing. That is really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. We need to be, and, and we've gotten better over time and we'll continue to get better. Right. I think, I think we're in, you know, the third inning of the game on that of, of as the data set grows, like right now we're in about a quarter of the country population wise, but as, as that grows, uh, we'll get more and more. Okay. Most of the time with this car, with this vehicle, with this kind of complaint, it's going to end up being this. And so, um, you know, you're trying to, and look, most good service advisors and techs, if you tell them that they're just going to say it's this, right? Like that's in their heads and you're trying to, um, take that learning and give it to a computer that can, that can come to the same conclusions without the human experience. And that's hard, right? Like that's one of the online pricing and online quoting is hard and it, and uh, we're getting better. You know, our accuracy is over 80%, but it, it takes time. How do you talk to a customer like that then? Like if you're saying, you know, as you're going through the process and you say, okay, like, if, if you go out and maybe you don't nail down the head and then you have to order a part and then maybe if that part is back ordered or something like that, is it, it's more just a, a general conversation with that customer to say, Hey, listen, here's, here's the deal. Or how does that work? And I think every company has, it's like, has that, right? Like you're, you're like, I don't know that there's a company that's listening to this that hasn't had some issue like that. So I, I don't think that's a, uh, <laughs> that's anything different, but do you, when you're talking through that and you get that initial diagnostic process, one, I think because you've got data that helps a lot, but then two, if the, the data doesn't lead to the right thing, kind of what is your next step then? Yeah. I mean, if the diagnostic on site, you know, turns up something that is difficult or complicated, I mean, even might need a further advanced diagnostic, right? Yeah. Uh, those are the most difficult cases. And so, um, you know, we, we will give the customer the option, uh, but oftentimes we'll offer to take the car away and bring it back when it's done. And we'll work with our shop partners in that situation to, you know, bring in the, the and they tend to be the higher dollar, more complicated, more, more uh, difficult cases uh, that need a shop. And, and just to be clear, you know, we never envision that a hundred percent gets done on site, right? Sure. That's not realistic, but we're, we're certainly over 80% on site. Um, and then, but from a customer experience standpoint, we didn't want to basically, so there's there's some independent, there's been independent mobile mechanics out there for a long time, sure. right? And so, but, you know, if they show up on one of these cases and they get to that dead end, basically it's like pay me for the diagnostic and now go, no, go start over again at a shop. Right. And that's a terrible customer experience. Yeah. And so we couldn't have that. We had to solve that in our business model. And so for us, it was, um, we will take the, the vehicle, we'll bring it to the right partner and then they'll basically transition into a, a, a traditional shop experience and we'll bring it back when it's done. And so, and customers understand that, that if it's, you know, not everything can just be banged out magically, you know, in the driveway. Yeah. And, and generally they're understanding that once you explain to them, Hey, you've got these five things wrong and this is a disaster over here. <laughs> it's not, you know, this is not a three hour job. They'll, they'll say, just take it away and, and bring it back. Yeah. I, I, and I think that's, 
part of the customer education process too, right? And, and making sure that as you're, you're changing their world a little bit in terms of like how they interact with a shop, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, it's, it's fascinating to me that that kind of relationship there and, and how you do that. How do you, and kind of just to switch gears here a little bit, I'm, I'm interested to learn more about what you look for like in a tech, uh, because when you're bringing a tech on board to RepairSmith, it's maybe a little bit of a different type of role in that it's more customer facing than maybe what a, another role would be. So Absolutely. are there, maybe walk me through that a little bit of like, what is it that you look for in a tech uh, when, when you're trying to find somebody? Yeah, well, I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there is that it is customer facing, right? You're, you're, um, you're out there on your own. And so if you think about what, what are the, what are the, you know, the, the kind of qualities in somebody that make it work versus not work. And so um, somebody who's comfortable, multi-brand, uh, you know, with a lot of experience. Uh, so we can't, you know, we don't, on co- consumer jobs, we don't send out new techs, right? Because it's not a mentorship model um, like a shop might be. So we generally look for definitely over five years, often over 10 years, you know, certified uh, techs who are comfortable in a multi-brand setting. Um, so that's the first thing from, a, from you know, a, a technical perspective. But then also on the soft side, you know, somebody who likes in- interacting with people and doesn't want to be in the back of shop, uh, you know, back of house experience. And so, and that doesn't apply to everyone, right? right. Some people like being back of house and, and let the service advisors do their thing and, and I'll, I'll fix cars. Other people like being part of a new experience and talking to their, you know, talking to the people who there's their vehicles that they're actually, you know, um, working on rather than going through a service advisor for everything, right. uh, kind of a middleman. And so I think those are the two biggest criteria is, you know, the comfort level um, technically, but also t- comfort level personally on that experience. But in exchange, you know, we think it's a great, opportunity for somebody career-wise um, to, you know, to be uh, in this new model because we, we provide kind of the latest and greatest support and, and um, you know, you're not out there on your own. You have a, uh, a brand new vehicle with state-of-the-art tool, you know, modern, all new tools, all new stuff and, and a back-end support team uh, to help you uh, uh, when you need it. That's, that is awesome. And I think it, it just, it does put probably pressure on you guys to make sure you find that right fit and, and make sure that when you're bringing that person in that, you know, that knowing each tech is the face of your company when they go out to a, uh, just a, an end consumers, uh, you know, to their, to their car to fix it. Do you, I mean, how do you, how do you get that mindset with a tech? Because I think sometimes it is, and I've noticed this in my experience, I guess, is that, you're going to have techs that just aren't going to be comfortable talking to a uh, to a customer, and that that could go anywhere. I've seen engineers that wouldn't be comfortable talking to a customer, or you know, it, it, like it's a it's a broad range. Yeah. But how do you how do you figure out if they are comfortable? Is it just them saying, "Hey, you know what? I, I like talking with customers," or is there more <laughs> process? Out? I mean, it comes out pretty pretty quickly. Look, this in in a way, this is a big paradigm shift in automotive, but in a way it's completely standard, right? Like plumbers, electricians, you know, HVAC guys. I mean, uh, you know, you name it, right? Like this has been going on for 50 years in every, 
you know, contractor business, right? Other than automotive. So yeah. it's not like you wouldn't ask this question of, of a plumbing company. Like, how do you find plumbers who, who want to go to people's houses and, and fix, you know, um, hot water heaters? Like that's, it's just part of the role. And so some people who are plumbers might want to just work on, on new big construction to, you know, projects, uh, you know, for multifamily apartment where they never talk to a customer, right? That That's like the equivalent. And some might like doing, you know, house calls and, and hey, here's your problem. Let's fix it. And, and I want to help the person. You know, it's like a service mentality, right? And so yeah. um, I think it's the same analogy, right? Some people want to, you know, have a, ha be this hero showing up and talking to people and being social. And some people just want to do their job and go home at the end of the day and not talk to anyone. And, and that applies to every Yes. almost every job in the world, right? Like, so 100%. And yeah. what I love about your approach to that is that you're not putting all text in one bucket, right? And I think as an industry, we're, we're really bad at that part where, you know, we, we think the, tem the, the demographic of text is all one person. And when you dive down, everybody wants different things, or they want, you know, they have different drivers and, and, um, and maybe that social aspect. I know, like I grew up working in a shop. I would have loved to be able to talk to uh, techs up front, but that's because I just, I like talking to people, but not everybody is that way. And, you know, it's, it's making sure that you're talking to that individual rather than like the, the whole, you know, kind of wide scope of them. Yeah. And I, I should mention though, that we've been talking all about consumer here where we go to individual people um, and we have a whole, business segment of, of fleet customers, right? And that's much more, um, we have a different profile of tech for that, uh, where they're working often in teams. So you can have a, a master tech and a, and a more entry-level tech who's working their way up earlier in their career, let's say, and, and that mentorship model. And they're much less customer facing because they'll go there, they'll check in and then they'll work on, you know, 50 cars um, on the lot, right? Kind of vehicle to vehicle. And that's much more the B2B model that might, you know, more similar, um, you know, one, one visit or maybe two visits per day um, rather than house to house to house. And so we can take in techs who have different, um, you know, levels of experience and preference in kind of dealing, dealing with customers, depending on which segment of our business they're, they're operating in. That's awesome. Because that, that really lets somebody kind of get into their comfort zone. That is really cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we certainly have those operations and, and that's actually a bit part of our business that's growing very quickly right now. Right. And I could see a huge need on the fleet side for, for that, right, and mm -hmm. and to to be able to, they're not going to be able to bring all their vehicles to you, uh, and for you to be able to kind of bring that to them, it's just such a huge benefit for them. Yeah, like the, I mean, the obvious examples that everyone has experienced is kind of the airport rent-a-car, right? Like you've got the big lots of vehicles, and you've got the on-site techs who are, you know, they're not in a shop setting, but it really is very similar in that they're, you know, they're working through as the vehicles come back in the main, you know, uh, the maintenance program and the scheduled maintenance on all the vehicles and then the repairs that come in, you know, on the damaged vehicles. And, and we get those kind of environments as well in our, in our fleet business. This is interesting. This is really interesting. Um, so when, when you're working with a tech, they're working for RepairSmith, right? Yeah. So we, 
we have no contractors. Everyone is an employee. I mean, it, it, I, I'd be happy to chat about, you know, talk about the, the, the reasoning for that. If, if yeah. You want. Yeah. Go right ahead. I'm, I'm fascinated by this. Yeah, sure. So, you know, in those early days when we were thinking about it, and even before we ran the van in, um, you know, in um, the, the stealth mode, there was a couple of things that we had to figure out before we would even commit to doing this, right? One was that no dead ends I talked about where we can't just show up and if it doesn't work mobile, it doesn't work and the customer has to start over again, right? So that was really important. So it still requires a shop, but in a hub and spoke model was our solution for that. Um, and then another big piece of it was, you know, there's a couple of, of companies out there that either everyone's a contractor or they might be employees I think, I don't even think it's legal in California to be a contractor and do the mobile format, frankly, but that's a whole different topic and that's still working its way through, right? The whole gig model for highly skilled workers. I, you I'm know, going on there, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I won't go there. But, um, but in that very state by state, the legalities of it. But uh, even if they're technically an employee, a lot, you know, they'll still have to provide their own vehicle and their own tools, right? And so, and that's kind of the cheap way to do it. If you're thinking like tech company, you know, let's just be a middleman and, and, and disrupt an industry. Right. And, and while that may work for like McDonald's delivery and, and for, you know, uh, taxi uh, industry, I don't think we didn't think it worked in automotive repair, right? It's a highly skilled industry. These are high skilled professionals and you require, you know, to do it right, the right tools and equipment and support. And so from a quality perspective and a customer satisfaction perspective, frankly, uh, if you read the online reviews for some of these, you know, you can't, they don't control quality, right? right? And so to control quality, and remember, we're coming from the DNA, our biggest investor is Mercedes, right? And yeah. that's like, our DNA is European luxury brand quality. And so there was no way we were just gonna send out random independent contractors with their own vehicles and tools, right? Like that just wasn't gonna cut it. And that, and then from the flip, from that's from our side, but from the flip side, from the tech side, it's like, why would I go do, a, you know, a random oil change on a Tuesday afternoon here and there when I can, you know, have a good paying job somewhere like that. It's not like it's a high unemployment industry. Right? right. And so it didn't make sense from the tech side and it didn't make sense from, from the supplier side. And so for us, where we settled was this has to be a shop experience for the techs where, you know, they have the equipment they need, they are employees, they have benefits, they have healthcare, they have make paid vacation, et cetera, et cetera, because we want to attract the best, right? We don't want to attract the people who can't get a job at a shop, right? Like, yeah. so from a quality perspective, we want to provide a great employee experience, which translates into a great customer experience. I, I love that approach. I, I really, really do. I, I think that's, that is a, a really great way to go. Now, to expand upon that, when you're talking schedules for your techs, what like what's a typical schedule look like for a tech? And is there because you're you're mobile, maybe a little bit more flexibility than what you'd have in a, a typical shop, or is it more just still, hey, you're eight to five, uh, here's your deal? No, so 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 right now. It kind of depends on the state, frankly, because there's different rules in different states on this. And so, um, you know, we try to operate 80 hours a week uh, on a van, okay? And so 
And what that means is two 40 hour shifts. Now it's not perfect in split when it, when a week has seven days and not eight days, it's kind of hard, you know, you can't get exactly 80 hours and, and the rules depend on state. But in California, for example, we have what's called a 410 schedule, which is four days a week, 10 hours per day. Okay. And so they get three days off a week. Um, in, in other states, it's, it's a slight variation of that. But generally speaking, you're working half the week um, on regular time, your regular schedule, and there's overtime opportunities as well. But uh, you're generally working half the week and then off half the way or, you know, some portion of the week as well. Sure. And then, um, you know, your, the van is being handed off midweek to the other tech who, who operates that van. How, so this is so minute of a detail, but I'm interested in this. How does that work? Do you have a home base in each city or is it more just like the techs work together to, to coordinate the, uh, the transfer of the van? Both. Um, so, so it, we're, we're setting up home bases in, in all our major metros. Um, and so, you know, eventually we'll get there, but in the, you know, early on, if we open up a market, a small market with two techs, then they'll just do a handoff. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and we might sense. just rent, we might just rent a parking spot or something simple. So it really depends on the scale of the operation in each city. And as we grow, it evolves to be more sophisticated. That's interesting. And that's, I mean, just that it's nothing I've ever thought about, but being able to get the utilization out of the van is you're almost treating that like your shop bay uh, where you want to keep that full, you know, as much as humanly possible. Our van is the bay, right? Like a hundred percent. That's yeah. the, that's the equivalent. So do you, you kind of, uh, for a KPI, use like van utilization as a statistic that you're following? Uh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I, this is <laughs> awesome. I, it's, it's stuff that I hadn't like down to the detail really thought all that much about. And I think it's- I mean, van utilization is probably the, the where, where we make or break this company, right? So um, yeah. uh, certainly if the, if, the, if, the, if the bay is sitting empty, the shop's not going to be doing very well, right? And so it's it's no different. Right. It's the exact same thing. What about tools? Are the uh, the the van is stocked with tools or the the no 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 the van the van is completely stocked with to, tools and fluids and parts and scanner and all you know it's it's completely um, turnkey for the technician. Wow! So they're not they don't have no to no no that's that was part of the thing you know it's it's a shop experience on wheels. I mean, that's a, I, I see that part alone as a huge evolution within the technician yeah. space, right? Because they're so used to bringing their own tools. And I, I, I've talked to other podcast guests. I talk to people um, in shops every day that I see an evolution there in general, right? Like where it's, I don't think the younger generations are going to be as willing to spend, you know, fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 on tools uh, as what, you know, I was growing up or what, you know, the, maybe the baby boomers that are starting yeah. to retire, you know, I, I think there's a, a huge, huge, look, I mean, to that. we are, what we're trying to do is very big, right? We're trying to build a new model of car repair at a national scale. And the logistics of what we're doing is, is very difficult. Right. And quality control, you know, you get a bunch of bad Yelp reviews and you're done, right? So right. standardization and quality control have been critical components of this since day one, right? And and like, imagine everyone, every van looking different on the inside and everyone having their own tools and every, you know, different quality. And, and you know, we're not, 
I think it's different when you have one or a couple of shops than when, when you're going to have 500 of these things running around the country. You can't just have chaos, right? And, and it only works with uh, really strict operational you know, um, standard operating procedures. And so without that, we just wouldn't have gotten past three vans. Right. This is cool. Uh, uh, <laughs> sorry. It's, 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 some of this stuff is blowing my mind because it, it is so unique and so different that I think it's, I mean, there's just such a huge opportunity for techs out there too. I'll, I'll tell you one thing. It's incredibly expensive. Okay. And so the reason, you know, when people ask why has no one done this before? Right. Cause like from the customer experience, they're like, this is amazing. Right. And it is not what, you know, the, the independent contractor, bring your own vehicle, bring your own tools makes sense from like an investor standpoint, because it's cheap. Right. I just have to build a website and try to connect people. Right. But the quality turns out in car repair, you know, when you screw up somebody's car, they get pretty pissed off. It's not like, like, you know, when, when my McDonald's order shows up and they forget my chicken nuggets, like I'm kind of annoyed. Right. But I'm not like raging at Uber. Okay. I'm not on a mission to put them out of business, but like people can get pretty wild when you screw up their car. And so um, your reputation is everything in car repair. Right. And so, you know, we certainly took a much more expensive approach to this that no one's ever taken before. And it only makes sense if you're thinking about it from a really big scale, you know, national and international. Like we're, the, the base and the platform we've built doesn't make sense at, at the state level or, at, you know, because it's just too expensive. But right. it starts to make sense once you, once you kind of see the big vision. Interesting. How does, how does climate dictate where you go? Right. Yeah. Like, is it, is it, I mean, do you have more difficulties in the North than you would the South just based on, I, I live in Wisconsin, right? And yeah. I, I, it, uh, it, it can be a challenge. Uh, I, I, I know we have operations in Wisconsin right now. Yes, so. you do. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, so of course it makes a difference, right? Like, you know, um, but you know, frankly, Tucson in the summertime ain't, ain't, ain't no picnic either, right? <laughs> so, um, no. so weather matters. And um, in the winter, in the Midwest and the Northeast, certainly we have to do repairs inside, right? Like we're not in somebody's driveway, but also everyone who lives in the Northeast and Midwest mostly has underground or, or garage parking, right? And so- yes. um, we end up doing more um, shop work in those environments for four months a year, right? Yeah. And that's just the reality of it. Um, and, you know, we have to properly equip our techs in those markets, you know, whether it's cooling gear in, you know, in, in Dallas or, or Phoenix in the summertime or, um, you know, warm, warm gear in, in Boston or Chicago in the winter, you know, we have to take that into account. Well, and I think that's, building that comfort zone with a, with a tech and being able to supply them with the tools and fully grasping that, Hey, this is, there could be an uncomfortable situation here. If you're, you know, if it's, if it's really, really cold and you got a no start, you know, like you're, you're trying to get out and that can be tough. So when you acknowledge that and really kind of address the problem at its core, which is you need warmer clothes, then you need, yeah. you know, this, this kind of stuff. It, it seems simple, but I think a lot of people overlook it, uh, you, you know, even from like a, a regular shop, uh, you know, making their their environment comfortable 
is such a big deal. And especially as you're trying to cater to technicians and trying to make their lives easier, that's a, that's a huge deal. Yeah. I mean, well, look, ultimately, you know, we have to provide a great place to work. Otherwise this business doesn't work. And so you have to factor that in and you have to listen to the techs and get the feedback. And, um, you know, we've experimented with different gear and, and things along those lines. And, and look, nowadays, PPE is part of that, that factor as well, right? Like sure. what's the kit we need to send to every van to, to, so that everyone feels comfortable and, and has the right equipment on that front too. So that, you know, that's all part of the operations and making this thing work. Another thing that you said there that just really stuck out to me is you have to listen to your techs. And that is, I, I try to land that home with shops every single day. Like you've got the people with boots on the ground, literally that are doing these jobs that might have a lot of good input for you. Yet a lot of times ears remain off. Yeah. And it, it, it drives me crazy because it's such a simple way to learn about their world and what can make their world better. Well, look, we have, you know, we're a tech company, so we have Slack and all the techs post on Slack, right? And so, or not all, but a lot of them do. And it's a very easy way for them to have their voices heard, right? Like I, I, might, I might not have met in person, you know, uh, because of this whole pandemic, I haven't been able to travel as much. And, and, you know, I might not have met somebody who's working in Phoenix for us, but I certainly see their face pop up and, and see their feedback on Slack all the time. Right. And so, um, you know, and I, I monitor those channels every day. And so it gives them a feedback mechanism to us because uh, we're not in the field experiencing these things and we need to know what's going on. How, how did you guys come up with the name repair Smith? <laughs> um, to be honest, when 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 I joined uh, the the earlier founder that I mentioned had a list of names that they had been researching um, from a you know getting a dot com is a nightmare Ooh. these days right yeah. like it's not easy and so there may have been one or two names that were a little you know cooler that um, that uh, it was just either for co- I you know copyright reasons like it was too clo- you couldn't get the trademark on it or somebody it was too expensive to buy. And this was the, you know, we, we, this was on the list and, you know, it came from the Smith, you know, being an expert in things, a locksmith, a, you know, a, um, uh, 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 other type of blacksmith. That was the one I was looking for. But, you know, traditionally it means, you know, an expert in your trader craft, right? So we really liked that about it. Uh, And it fit. And you know, the, the, we could buy the domain for a reasonable price, and we could get it, um, you know, trademarked, and it hit all the criteria, and we fell in love with it. And the rest, you know, we've we've been very happy with the name. Yeah, I love it, and your branding is on point. Like, just if 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 anybody wants to go out to repairsmith.com and check it out, like I. I I love your branding. I love the name. I love kind of just everything about what you guys are doing. And that's where having you on the podcast today, as I mentioned to you uh, prior to the call, you've got an amazing team of people that you've, you've really put together uh, at RepairSmith from the corporate level or kind of the, the um, management level, I should say more so uh, all the way down to the quality of technicians that you're adding. And I think that it's changing the industry in a positive fashion and in a positive way. And I, uh, I really look forward to seeing you guys grow and seeing how, how this really kind of evolves. Well, thank you for the huge compliment. I mean, that's, that's our mission, right? Every day is to, is to 
um, try to evolve this and provide customers a great experience. So the fact that, that, you know, you look at it and you see that means makes me happy and, and, uh, means we're, we're doing something right. It really does. And I, I think there's so much value in bringing somebody into the industry that wasn't ingrained in it all of their lives because it brings a different set of eyes on it. And, and Mark Wilson, my business partner is the same way where he, he brought that different, you know, it's a different set of eyes on the same problem. And I think when you, when you pull more smart people into this industry, you help make that, that employee experience better that, you know, really can drive the rest of the industry. And I think that's so impactful. So I, I, uh, sorry, I'm just, I'm just fascinated by what you guys do because I think it's so cool. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. All right. Uh, where, where can people find RepairSmith at? Well, repairsmith.com, as we talked about, right? Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, there, there's, there's, of course, a career section on RepairSmith um, that we encourage people to check out. Um, you know, we're actively hiring technicians across, you know, I think five states at the moment right now, um, from, from Texas to Oregon to California, uh, Nevada, um, Arizona, and Wisconsin. Um, and, and we'll be opening up new states uh, um, later this, you know, well in Q2 this year, we'll be opening a whole new state as well. So, um, Good for you. lots, lots to look for. Well, we appreciate you being on the podcast today. It was, uh, it was really enlightening. And, uh, I, I learned a lot about what you guys do and, and the way that you do it and, and, uh, the mission that you guys have. So I, I genuinely appreciate you being on. Well, likewise, thank you for having me. 